HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? Learn more about Wisconsin's cheese-making history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meat and 3, we celebrate good news in the food world, from record-setting butter sculptures to the latest discoveries in crop cultivation. I think it was back in 2015. It was 2,370 pounds, and it was a Paris landscape. And so that became the Guinness World Record butter sculpture. We don't understand everything about the world. So plant breeding also lets us work with all the unknown, maybe discovered along the way. And we hear from the beloved chef and disaster relief organizer, Jose Andres. Well, World Central Kitchen, we're an organization that we like to be the first ones on the ground. And more often than not, we are the last ones on the ground. Tune in to Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you from the Tack Room in Hudson Yards, New York City. Today is September 13th, 2019. The show will air in a couple weeks, and it will be my 230th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is one of the most respected and influential world-renowned chefs and restaurateurs, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to know that how we do anything is how we do everything. Understand that every act matters. Every word has meaning, every job has its purpose, every situation its place. No matter how menial a task may seem, never underestimate its value and significance. Our decisions and our actions create our image and how we are perceived. So let's remember to always bring the same passion, work ethic, and high standards to what we do as any and everything matters. That's my tip today. Now I'm extremely honored and humbled to have the opportunity today to interview my guest. It is Thomas Keller, chef and proprietor of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, which includes the French Laundry, Bouchon Bistro, Bouchon Bakery, Ad Hoc in La Calenda in Yauntville, California, Per Se and Tack Room in New York City, the Surf Club Restaurant in Surfside, Florida, and more. Renowned for his culinary skills and impeccable standards, Chef Keller is the first and only American-born chef to hold multiple three-star Michelin ratings, as well as the first American male chef to be designated a Chevalier of the French Legion of Honor, the highest decoration in France. He's received countless accolades, including the Culinary Institute of America's Chef of the Year Award and the James Beard Foundation's Outstanding Chef and Outstanding Restaurateur Awards. Chef Keller is the author of five cookbooks, publisher of Finesse Magazine, has 
many impressive collaborations. He is also the president of Mentor BKB Foundation, which he co-founded along with chefs Daniel Blue and Jerome Bacuse. Welcome to the show. Oh, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but I also wanted to thank you for that tip. Uh, very, very well said, and I think certainly apropos in, in, in any at any time. But thank you for that. It's a really nice tip. You're welcome. Right. I I come up with my tips from my guests. Actually, I get inspired by them. So that's you inspired yeah. me oh. to put that together. Oh, thank you. Um, but I'm 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 glad it it, it resonated oh. with you. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I always like to start out with how my guests got into the industry. So mm-hmm. going back to your childhood and, and those memories of what was it about kitchens or cooking or that, that brought you into the world of hospitality? Sure, sure, sure. Um, we talk about words that are really important, and thank you for, for saying that. And there, there's a word that I always like to kind of focus in on, and we talk about the the hospitality industry. I'd like to, to look at it differently and call it the hospitality profession. Okay. Um, it just it, it it sounds a lot more. Um, uh, I, I think a lot more in tune with what we feel we do. Um, uh, an industry to me was always something like Boeing or or GM, but a I'm profession. I'm gonna have to change the name yeah. of my show. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> I, I think we. You know, I've always talked. I've always talked about these things in our kitchens and our restaurants to try to elevate the standards of what we do, and and so it's one of the things that we talk about words all the time and how important they are. Um, but but how, the, to the to the real question, um, how did I get started in this? It was uh, quite accidental. Um, I, I didn't grow up with a parent or even a, a grandparent who you know stirred a pot of uh, beef bourguignon on the stove or was making you know um, chicken Kiev every other night. I didn't have that kind of experience as a as as a young person. Um, I was raised by basically three or four older brothers. Um, my parents were divorced when I was quite young. I was the youngest of five children. So I basically ate whatever they fed me because um, my mother typically worked in the evenings. Um, so there's not that, that fondness that I have associated with food um, in reality, but there is that fondness that I associated with food um, in my mind and, 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 and understanding how, um, how people grew up, whether they were, whether they were French, whether they were Italians, or whether they were Americans, or whether they were you know, Asian. Um, and, and, and being able to be involved in food at a very young age and how that motivated and moved um, their uh, perception of what they do and how they do it. Um, I, I think where, where I got started in food was my mother put me in front of a dishwasher at a, at a very young age. And I, I, I learned so much in front of the dishwasher. It became um, part of the what I call the six disciplines of my career. And I, I think they're very... Um, uh, exemplary of what anybody's career could be in those six disciplines were organization, um, uh, efficiency, critical feedback, uh, repetition, um, um, uh, rituals, and uh, teamwork. And I think those those three things I learned in front of a dishwasher, and it was very it was a very important time. Uh, it gave me something to do, um, but also got me into a, a kitchen, and I and I felt really comfortable in a kitchen. Um, I always wanted to be, as many young males in America, I always had idols of in, 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 in sports, and baseball was my sport, and I always hoped to be someday a baseball player, but that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't, didn't have that kind of athletic um, ability. But the teamwork was really important, that, 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 that team effort. And I found myself in a kitchen in, uh, in, in the early 70s, um, where I where I felt that 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 same kind of teamwork that I felt on a, on a baseball diamond little league, uh, and then and then continuing that through 1976 and 1977 in Rhode Island, where the team became bigger and it really became um, apparent to me that there are different people doing different things, the same thing on a baseball field. In 19, July 1977, I'd been cooking and I was I was pretty good at it. I liked the physical activity of it. I liked the camaraderie of it. I liked the teamwork of it. In July 1977, I met a French chef in Narragansett, Rhode Island, who asked me a question. He said, "Why do you Why do you think cooks cook?" And it was very. It was. I was quite surprised at the question. It had nothing really to do with with any recipes or what I was doing uh, at the moment. But you know, it was more of a philosophical question, uh, and I was taken back a little bit. And then I stuttered something, and I said, "I don't really know." And he said, "We cook to nurture people." And that resonated with me. And so July 1977 is, is the moment I decided to become a professional chef. 
um, and pursue a path in, in, in culinary and, and, and primarily in, in French cuisine. So that's kind of where, where it comes from. Wow. No, it's great to hear the background. I mean, there's, uh, I knew you, you spent time in Florida growing up, uh, where I'm actually from Miami, right. so I have that connection. Mm-hmm. And then you were in New York City, and it's so hard to, to, to figure out how, like, how much of the details to get into mm-hmm. of your past. Um, but we can, I'd love to talk about the French Laundry. Mm-hmm. So what led you to move out to the West Coast? Failures. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you know. I mean, if you just run around and get down to it, you know. The, <laughs> I didn't. It, I didn't know you were going to say that, but yeah, okay. no. It, it, I, you know, I think that. And again, you know, when I talked about my six disciplines, we talked about critical feedback. You know, it's something that people are, are somewhat hesitant to accept or to give um, today. And I think it's the most important thing in learning is to be criticized. But you need to be criticized in a proper way, of course. But nonetheless, you know, criticism every day is, is, is critical to the growth of any young person, certainly in our, in our profession, you know, as a, as a young cook. Um, so getting that feedback every day. And we get feedback from all, all different sorts of places. I mean, we get feedback just by trying to heat up a piece of, uh, trying to heat up a saute pan with enough oil in it uh, to saute a piece of fish. You know, I mean, if you don't heat that pan up, you know, to the proper temperature, you don't have enough oil in it. Your fish is at the improper temperature when you're trying to put it in. So many things happen. And, you know, right. if you do it wrong, that's critical feedback. And so you don't do it again. You know, you, you, you learn yeah. from those mistakes. And so, yeah, I got to, I got to, to French laundry through several different failures. Um, but they were, they were, they were, you know, at the time, certainly a huge setback and sad and, and, and had impacted, you know, friends in negative ways. Um, but I continued to try to learn and find my way to the French Laundry in 1992, 1991, um, uh, where when I discovered the French Laundry was for sale and started to pursue that. But leaving New York City uh, at a restaurant here called Raquel, you know, it was, it was a heartbreak to leave the city that I thought I would live in, you know, for my entire career um, and have a restaurant here. Um, but it, it, it didn't work out. So, you know, it's either you, you either, um, you either seek away and, and, and console yourself or you stand up and say, okay, I'm going to do something else. And I felt something else and I did it in LA and, and LA didn't work out for me either. And I said, okay, what am I going to do? You know, and I went off and found the French laundry. Um, I, you know, one, one decision leads you to another. And I've always talked to my teams about the significance of one decision and how that impacts your life and other people's life. So, the significance of the decision that I made, you know, whether it was to move to Rhode Island, work at Narragansett, whether it was to come to New York City, move to France, move to L.A., or, or finally pursue purchasing the French Laundry and how those in individual decisions have impacted my life and other people's lives to the point where we got to the French Laundry. Um, and I had I had figured things out um, and was able to put together a team uh, that was successful at, at what we wanted to achieve, that vision. And, you know, that's significant. That decision has, has been extraordinary. Absolutely. Thinking of so many tips as you're speaking. I was thinking of the, what's the phrase, uh, if, if you don't succeed, try, try again or something like that. Well, certainly. <laughs> I mean, persistence, persistence, you, yeah. know, it's a, you know, patience and persistence are two important words um, that I use quite often. You know, being patient with yourself, being patient with your career, being patient with others, you know, how important that is. Um, and then persistence. I mean, if, if you stop, you'll never, you'll never achieve your goals. So always right. continue to try because the moment you quit, it's over. Yeah. Well, then you found the French Laundry. You found this magical place mm. 25 years ago. Yeah. What were you thinking? Did you think, I mean, we would be here today talking about this anniversary and the impact you, your restaurant, your team has made on the culinary mm-hmm. profession. <laughs> Um, well, I'm just I'm just one one of those individuals. Remember, there's 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 significant people around me that are of my generation, and 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 certainly, you know, I always like to remind everybody that, you know, there there's really nothing new that we're doing. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, and so for me, I had you know I had great mentors. There's the icons of, of the profession that I looked up to, um, and they set the standards for me. And you know they that they themselves you know also you know when they were younger and learning they had their icons and their mentors and so our profession has been you know generational uh, and it's I'm really proud 
to represent, you know, whether it was Paul Bocuse, Ferdinand Poine, Augusta Escoffier, I mean, countless chefs who, uh, from, from, you know, in, in history that have, have established this foundation that we all work from. And, and, you know, we can never forget that. I understand news is new, um, but, you know, we have, to, we, have to, we have to realize that somebody taught us and we have to be able to exemplify that, that teaching and continue to progress and influence others to be better. And so you, you look at history and, you know, we've always become, generationally become better and better and better. And, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, so my generation was the first generation of American chefs to really get notoriety. Right? And we, were, we were born at a specific time in history. We came of age. You know, we, were, we, we, started, we got interested in food. We became, we became cooks. We became chefs at a time when people in our, in our country started to recognize that, you know, chefs were, were, were professionals. And they, had, and they had the ability. They had personalities. They had points of view. Um, and, and they can nurture us <laughs> and in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just go to the grocery store. I mean, the... The, 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 the ingredients that we have in our grocery stores today are because of what chefs have done. You know, we have done so much to supply so many in our country and around the world, chefs around the world, um, in, in, in so many different ways and influence them in, in what they eat, you know, and what our farmers, fishermen, and foragers bring us. Um, it's quite extraordinary when you really, really think about it. So um, this generation of chefs has had a profound impact on, on the culinary culture and landscape in America. Absolutely. So how I was I was looking at your your Instagram feed and it was fabulous watching the celebration and the way you you um, it wasn't just a I mean, I know you had an event, but it wasn't just a one day celebration when right? you you there were pictures posted mm-hmm. from the history. Uh, it's really a joy to, to look look back at all that. Uh, what were what were some of the highlights from you of, of how, or how you've you've celebrated this twenty fifth milestone? Um, I think one of the thing, one of the things that um, I realized, which was really really important, and um, and um, I think profound for me is I it, on the night of our anniversary when we had a large party and we invited you know several several hundreds of people and celebrating that that moment in history when we opened the French Laundry, and I know I stood in front of the restaurant. Um, greeting people and shaking hands and, of course, taking pictures. And I realized that, you know, that was the 25th anniversary of Thomas Keller. But this was the French Laundry. And the French Laundry's history goes was before me. And again, mm-hmm. talking about re- recognizing those who came before us, you know, and I've said that, I, I've said that, you know, for, for many, 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 many years, but never re- realized it until that moment, um, in, standing in front of the French Laundry, that... The restaurant's 42 years old. You know, it was open in 1978 and, right. or 77. And, um, and I, sh- I should be embracing the history of the French Laundry because without Don and Sally Schmidt, who had the vision to come to Yonville and do what they did, um, who had the confidence in, in, in me and the courage to embrace me in so many different ways and help me be able to purchase their lovely restaurant... I wouldn't be there. So we're not celebrating any longer the anniversary of Thomas Keller's French Laundry, which was July 6th, 1994. We're going to celebrate the anniversary of the restaurant, yeah, um, which was nice. February 9th, 1977. So, you know, recognizing those things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, what is the thing that, that stuck with me the most? I mean, there were, I mean, there's so many wonderful things that happened during that week period of time, uh, inviting, you know, some of our special guests back, our partners back. The, the, the friends and neighbors, our suppliers, our purveyors, our partners. Um, but I think that one, that one realization uh, was profound for me um, and, and recognizing it um, and connecting it to the things that I've always said uh, and, realize, and, and, and you know, kind of going even deeper in your beliefs. And, and yeah. So that was, that was a, a good moment for me. Well... I'll, I'll reminisce about a good moment for me five years ago when I flew across the country to dine at the French Laundry by myself for your 20th. Okay. And <laughs> I, I, it was, I remember I saw, I think it was on Open Table or wherever, it was, it was an announcement about this, about the 20th, and I was like, I've always wanted to dine there, and I just did it. I had a reservation for yep. two, and yep. I 
was unable to get a date. And huh. so I was like, I'm, I'm a big solo diner. Yeah. And I came out and I dined there by myself. And it was it was so special. And I, I remember seeing you in the kitchen yeah. at the end. And um, yeah, it was it's it's such an amazing memory for me that I have. At the, and I, I even wrote a little piece about it. Um, uh-huh. So um, I'll have to I'm, I'm due to come back now. For, yes. See the new see the new the new I, restaurant. Yes, yeah. you did. You you renovated yeah. your entire kitchen since I've been there. Yeah, well, we tore it all down and rebuilt it. So it's kind of new construction. Um, yeah. But, um, it's interesting. But you, you said a word there, you know, memory. And I, th- I think that it's a very important word to, for us to just talk about for, for a brief moment because, you know, people define success differently. And, you know, whether it's fame and fortune, um, you know, those people are successful. But the fame and fortune, you know, can fame is given to you by others, number one, and they can quickly take it away. And, you know, fortune, you know, has different points of view. Um, but memories are, are life-lasting. And mm-hmm. success for us is defined as uh, on the memories, the memories we, we produce for ourselves and the memories that we give others. And it's such a, it's such a wonderful thing. People come to the restaurant and they have an experience at the restaurant and they'll tell me about a restaurant that they had eaten in 10 or 15 years before that reminded them of the French audience. I'm thinking, wow, that was, that was a wonderful night for them because for the past 15 years, you know, that memory has been there. And, and that chef did an extraordinary job giving this couple that memory. And that's, you know, that's, that's life lasting. Absolutely. On that note, let's take a little break and we will come back and talk with Chef Keller. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin has storied cheese history that begins with Swiss, German, and Italian settlers in the 1800s and continues today with nonstop innovation and award-winning artisanship. Wisconsin was the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. It is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of this helps Wisconsin cheese win more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country. Take, for example, Decatur Swiss Cheese Co-op, who have made cheese since the 1940s. Steve Stetler is a Wisconsin master cheesemaker who developed several new cheeses for the co-op, including a European-style Havarti, a Swiss lace cheese called Stetler Swiss, and a Colby Swiss marbled cheese. His cheeses have won awards at the Wisconsin State Fair and the World Championship Cheese Contest. To learn more about Wisconsin's award-winning cheesemakers, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Thomas Keller, the chef and proprietor of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. So let's let's talk a bit about your, your many other restaurants are coming back to New York City with Per Se, and now we're here at beautiful Tap Room. When do you when do you know or what what influences you to decide it's time for a new restaurant or what's you know what's it's I'm assuming it's probably not one thing or maybe it is like mm-hmm. what's what's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. thing that happens that says all right I'm ready to do a new project Sure it's it's a really good question there's no there's no one answer to that question um, if you look at the French laundry you know again it was my kind of last stab at trying to be that entrepreneur and that chef and, and have that kind of restaurant. And fortunately, I, w- I was successful at that. And Bouchon was, was born out of the need for a place to go to eat. You know, we, we at the French Laundry at the time, back in the early 90s, um, mid-90s, um, had all come from urban environments, New York City, San Francisco, L.A., where there are, are restaurants that are open late into the night for people in the hospitality profession, right? I mean, you get off of work at, you know, 1230 or whatever, you go to Chinatown to, to have dim sum, or, or, you know, but there was places to eat, places to gather. Um, and in Napa Valley, that didn't really exist. And so, you know, realizing that there was a, a, a huge void in that, um, in, in, in that restaurant uh, opportunity, we, we opened Bouchon. 
and Bouchon became a restaurant that was open late into the night. And you I know, went there when I came oh, into town there because you go. it was yeah. it was you get in you get into Yonville and you're yeah. like what's open and yeah. I loved it. Yeah, and there and there are so many restaurants open now later in, into the evening for pe- for people to enjoy. And, you know, the hospitality profession is the biggest profession in Napa Valley. Whether you're in the wine wine business, whether you're in the hotel, whether you're in restaurants, we're all hospitality. So people are leaving work at all different times of the day and, and, and night. So, you know, Bouchon is open from 1030 in the morning until whenever the last person leaves. And we serve food all day. And that's the kind of restaurant that really kind of caters to um, our, our guests, our, our, our neighbors, our, our visitors, and certainly our, our, our profession. So Bouchon was born out of a need. In the same way that Bouchon Bakery was born out of a need. Um, Bouchon Bakery was um, set up to really produce bread for the French Laundry and for Bouchon. Uh, and in that, in, in, in that development, we said, well, let's open a small retail store as well. And so that, the Bouchon Bakery was born. Uh, in that case, but it was really set up to produce our own bread, to bake our own bread, um, and we bake bread for the French Laundry twice a day. Uh, we bake bread for Bouchon continuously throughout the day. Um, now we bake bread for La Calenda, or sorry, bake bread for Ad Hoc, an addendum, um, and also there's wholesale business. So, you know, it was also born out of a need uh, and a desire to be able to control what we do uh, in in our bread bread program. Right. Um, you know, after that, you know, became the, per se or Bouchon Las Vegas became the two restaurants where I really consider there was there was a type a proper expansion. The idea of opening a restaurant in a different city um, uh, was was very exciting for me mm-hmm. to be able to come back to New York City uh, to be able to partner with Steve Ross and, and Ken Himmel, and Bill Mack, some of the best partners we've ever had, uh, and their development of Time Warner Center. And to be part of the, the curation process of other chefs that were going to be in that building as well uh, was, was, was certainly challenging, um, uh, but also very rewarding. And I was very grateful to be able to have that opportunity, an open per se. Um, but at that same time, six months after we opened per se, I'm sitting in the salon over there with Michael Ruhlman, Michael Ruhlman, who, who's, mm-hmm. who's helped me write all, all of our cookbooks, all five of our cookbooks. You know, said to me, you know, you were, there were so many people that advised you not to do this for a number of different reasons. Now we sit here today and, you know, it seems to be gotten, gotten off on a really, you know, a positive note. And, you know, it looks like it's a really strong team and it's a great restaurant and all these different things. He said, um, so what do you think? And I said, well, I realize now that, that I didn't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I had, I had French Andre and... That was that was a moment that made made me again realize you know you learn about yourself as you, as you grow and you do things. I didn't have to do it, but I did it, and I wouldn't have known I didn't have to do it unless I did it. So you can't really kind of question yourself because if I didn't do it, I would still be saying, "Well, why didn't I do it?" You know. Right. Um, but I, I look at it, and and it, and it propelled me into a different position um, that needed to happen at the time in my career in my life. Um, but it also afforded, you know, countless individuals um, opportunities, you know, to become part of a restaurant. Um, that's that's extraordinary. Um, and I look at I look at just the the chef de cuisines in there, Jonathan Benno coming back to work for us, uh, um, and 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 becoming the first uh, American chef de cuisine, you know, to win three Michelin stars. You know, I was the chef owner. He was the chef de cuisine. You, you look at Eli Kaime, um, you know, who carried on that tradition now. Corey Chow, who I met when he was, I think, 18 years old, standing in line at William Sonoma when we, when we, in 1998, when we published the French Army Cookbook. I didn't know him. He was just coming to get his, with his mother to get his cookbook autographed. And now he's the chef de cuisine per se. And, you know, then, and I'm, I, you know, I'm talking about culinary, and obviously there's, mm-hmm. you know, extraordinary people throughout the wine programs or the management there as well. Um, you know, just think about Anthony, Anthony Rudolph, um, Michelle Cover. I mean, there's so many of them. But, they have, you know, had um, their careers um, um, established and progress, and then the countless individuals that have come into that restaurant and experienced it. So, did I have to do it? No, but look at the benefits that happened by doing something like that. Um, and New York was something that was exciting. And then, and Las Vegas is the same kind of thing. Opening Bouchon in Las Vegas, um, it was just, I was in that same moment in my in my in my life and thinking about things a little differently. And we opened Bouchon in Las Vegas, uh, and it's become, you know, it's as old as per se. They open three months apart from each other. And so we have two restaurants, the Bouchon and, and the Venetian, um, 
that you know, 15 years later in, in, a, in, a, in a market like, like Las Vegas, still is, today is, is extraordinary in, in what they do. Uh, and then looking at per se 15 years later yeah. and what it does. So those, those, there, there lies those reasons for those restaurants to talk about need, Bouchon, Bouchon Bakery. You talk about this idea of you know, expansion and doing that. Now, today, I look at different things. Um, if I'm opening a restaurant, two words I like to use are compelling and historic. Uh, so if you look at um, Surf Club in Miami, which I never thought, I, or, or Surf Club in Surfside, uh, I never thought I'd move back to open a restaurant in South Florida. You're from South Florida. I, I grew up in South Florida yeah. during my high school days, so I have a connection to there. I have family that still lives there. But I was never really intending to open a restaurant in Florida, although people have asked me, you know, throughout my, throughout my successful part of my career to do that. Um, and and um, uh, Nadim Ashi, who, who owns the, um, the surf club, and as I know people associate the surf club with the Four Seasons, but the Four Seasons is on the surf club property. And the surf club property is part of um, this historic place in, in South Florida. Um, it opened in 1930. You know, New Year's Eve 1930, it became one of the most renowned and famous clubs in the world. And he convinced me to come down there and look at it. When I went and looked at it, I realized and did, and did my research on it, I realized this was from a time in history that also was part of the continental cuisine, uh, that time of music and social interaction, uh, the, the fare that was on the menu. Um, and so... It became apparent to me that the history of the Serve Club fit really well within the desire to open a continental cuisine restaurant, something we've been working on here at Tack Room since, since 2009, I believe. So it was a long time in coming. Um, but it was, it was historic. And if you look at Hudson Yards, uh, it's the other reason. It's compelling. I mean, I I shouldn't say there'll never be another Hudson Yards developed in New York City again, but certainly not in my lifetime. I mean, the last project like this that was developed was Rockefeller Center. Right. And when was that done, right? So that was 60, 70 years ago. And so this is a generational thing. This is not something that happens every day. This is is a monumental uh, opportunity to become part of um, uh, a project that changes the face of a city in one of the most important cities in the world. So, you know, compelling, the Surf Club. Um, oh, sorry, compelling, uh, mm-hmm. Tack Room, uh, historic, the Surf Club. But then if you look at the restaurant, the most recent, res- one of the most recent restaurants that we opened, La Colinda in, uh, in Yonville. like one of yours that I haven't been to yet. Right, so it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Mexican restaurant. Uh, we have a, a, an extraordinary young Oaxacan chef um, um, that's expanded his horizons beyond Oaxaca to embrace other regions of Mexico, but still rooted in Oaxaca. Um, and, you know, the, the, the property that La Calenda uh, is on is something that I've always admired and always wanted to try to um, become part of. And so the chef, Bob Hurley, who um, decided to retire, called me up and said, Thomas, I know you're interested in this, so I want to retire. Can we work on something? I knew the owners of the property. It became a very simple, you know, couple-week, you know, conversation, and we took it over. And then I, I kind of, you know, just um, analyzed the landscape of restaurants in Napa Valley and, you know, realized that, you know, that we do have some wonderful Mexico, Mexican taco trucks. There's some, there's some very um, um, quick and fast food Mexican food, but nothing that had the level of quality that I believe that we, that, that Kalen, our chef, um, is producing at, 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 uh, at La Calenda. And, and then the price points, you know, it becomes, it becomes a very easy restaurant to go into and grab a taco and a, and a beer, right, uh, sitting at yeah. the bar and watching a ball game. I mean, it's a family place. It's, it's, it, again, it's all day. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us in Napa, you know, in Yonville, to offer, you know, to our guests, to our neighbors, to our friends, a different kind of experience. You know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily, it's a Thomas Keller restaurant, but believe me, you know, I couldn't go in there and make a quesadilla if I had to. <laughs> it's not something I specialize in. But again, offering opportunity, right. you know, to a whole, whole group of individuals. I mean, you know, Kalen's our chef, you know, Eric Jefferson is our, is, is our manager. He was captain at the French Laundry. So, you know, he had the, he had the desire and some skill and some, and some experience managing restaurants from his previous job. 
You know, so he has now an opportunity to run his own restaurant. So these are the things that are very important. Not, to, I mean, I can go into the story about ad hoc, but I think I'll be boring you. So we'll talk about. You're that. certainly not boring <laughs> me, and and those are, I yeah. mean, compelling and they're, they're great yeah. reasons. I I was thinking you you open, uh, <laughs> per se, and Bouchon Bakery at Time Warner because I live in the neighborhood, yeah. and you were, <laughs> you you knew I needed a go to right. coffee place and a fine dining experience, and also when I was I was down in in. Miami mm-hmm. in February, right. and I I went to the surf club oh, with my parents, and oh, we wonderful. had a lovely experience. Yeah. I it was it's beautiful yeah. service. I asked I asked if you were there, yeah. and um, they said you weren't there. But if you if you were, most mm-hmm. likely mm-hmm. you would have been making my tableside Caesar salad. Probably, I, 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 <laughs> something I, you do. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy interacting with the guests. I yeah. you know we 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 have an acronym Elf. Uh, in in our restaurant, um, and Elf is you know the the energy in the room should be vibrant, it should be somewhat loud, and and obviously really a lot of fun. You know that's the kind of restaurant that Tech Room and and Surf Club you know really should be. Not to mention Bouchon or La Calenda, but you know Elf was was really established for for, yeah. for these restaurants, and it's not. And remember, so you know it's important to remember. You know I'm a, I'm a chef and. I grew up in this profession. I have certainly been fortunate enough to have uh, left an imprint and impact uh, in, in a number of different ways. Um, but the, the restaurant that I most influence, or French, still French Laundry, and per se, Bouchon was never was never a restaurant that I needed to become. I'm not the chef of Bouchon, nor La Calenda, nor Ad Hoc, nor Tack Room, nor Surf Club. Um, those restaurants are based on either um, history, Bouchon. It's historical. It's a French bistro. I mean, we look back at history, and it's, we have the roadmap to what kind of food we should be doing. Um, tack Room and Surf Club are the same thing. We look back at history, and we have a roadmap on what kind of food, what kind of service it should be. Uh, La Calenda, you know, we have a wonderful young chef whose mother is one of the one of the most recognized experts on Oaxacan cuisine. So not only did I, did I get Kale and Ulrich, um, I got his mother, Suzanne Trilling, you know, who is, a, is an extraordinary woman and understands that. You look at ad hoc, and it's really based on what we ate, what what a lot of people would eat at home after, after you know, at, at supper time, you know, at dinner time, um, or things that I would have loved to have eaten at home had I had that kind of experience at home. So it's really family style. So you know, the restaurants that are the most important or the most, um, um, I guess, associated with Thomas Keller and his philosophy and culture and point of view our French laundry and per se. But even those today, mm-hmm. you know, we have a clear roadmap. You know, we have 25 years of French laundry. We have 15 years of per se. We have a clear roadmap of what, what, what the style and format, what the philosophy uh, and culture is of those restaurants. And the chefs that are in those restaurants today, they don't really need me. And I say that with, with, with great sense of pride, right? Um, because they are so good at what they do, and they're so good at what they do because of the experience and skill that they that they have um, have, have been given through their through their other uh, opportunities, and also through what we have the French audience per se. I would say there, there are three things that are really important when we're considering on bringing somebody into our restaurant, and not just the kitchen. I you know I know I'm, people always associate. What I'm talking about with our culinary programs, but it's really about the restaurants, and I think it goes really well with anything. It's, it's hiring the right person, right? Making sure that you hire the right person. When I was, you know, coming up in the profession, you know, they hired you because they needed somebody to fill a position, right? Not necessarily they did they think you were the right person, or did they ever invite you into that restaurant to actually see what kind of environment you were going to work in and make and, and ask you. You know, to be honest with yourself and, 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 and analyze that and say, okay, I can do this or I can't do this. You just came in and two weeks later, you know, you, you, they were, they were, whoever was training you was gone. And so you had to, it was really, um, um, really difficult, you know, a, a kind of system that we had back then. Um, today, we, you know, we, we've modified it, we've adapted it. And it's really, you know, hiring is the most important thing, making sure that, you know, that person has that opportunity to come into our restaurants and, 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 and spend a day or two really seeing, you know, what happens in a restaurant, being able to be honest with themselves. You know, can you do this job? Uh, and, then, and then making sure that we're doing the proper research on the person, you know, doing the reference checking that we're supposed to be doing, uh, making sure that we're having conversations with that person to understand what their goals are, what their, 
uh, with how their attitude and their personality, um, these kinds of things. So hiring the right person is really, really important. Then training, you know, as I spoke about earlier, I was trained for two weeks and then left on my own. Um, and it'd be akin to, you know, a parent who is training, who's teaching their child how to swim, and they always put those floaties on their arms and, they, and to make sure that they don't drown. And, you know, if you said to your child, you have two weeks to learn how to swim, and then I'm going to take the floaties off, and the kid drowns, you can say, well, it's your fault. You know, it's like, you don't do that. I mean, you keep those floaties on for three <laughs> right, months after right, the kid right. knows how to swim because, you're, you, you know, you want to make sure that they understand it. And that's what we have to do in our restaurants, making sure that, you know, we're continuously training them. And it's a, it's, a, it's a process. It's not a time. It's a process, and it goes on, it goes on for as long as they're with us because we're continuing training ourselves. So hiring and training and then mentoring, you know, making sure that we're mentoring that person um, and giving them the right advice, the right opinions, um, you know, giving them the, the, the proper kind of critical feedback, um, you know, opining on, their, on, on, on what their intentions are and their goals are. And if you do those three things correctly, what happens? Well, here's what's supposed to happen. That person should be better than you are. Because if they're not better than you are, then you've done a poor job, right? And yeah. so I'm proud to say that, you know, the chefs that work in my restaurants are better than I was when I was their age doing what they do. And why? Because they've had better opportunity. And that's why I talk about looking at history mm-hmm. and understanding where we came from, uh, this generational impact that chefs before me had on the chefs that, that came after them, and looking at the chefs that have come after me, and even looking at some of... Some of the chefs that came after me, that next generation, now there's two more generations. You know, you look at, you look at people like Jonathan Benno, you know, or Grant Atkins, you know, or, or Eric Ziebold, or uh, even Corey Lee, you know, um, they, have had, they have now have mentees that have gone out and doing great things. So it's this continuous connectivity between our profession uh, and then the continuous improvement on, on, on our profession. Uh, so we have to be able to, you know, look at our restaurants and say, okay, what can I do to improve my restaurant? But the real benchmark should be, what can I do to improve the standards of our profession? And if you're looking at it in that big picture, then everybody, everybody, our entire profession rises. And you can see it. I mean, look what's happened in America in just my lifetime. It's extraordinary. Impressive. Well said. Thank you. We're going to take another break here. We're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Thomas Keller, chef and proprietor of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, and it's time for my speed round. So what this is, is I name a few things that give you a preference such as chocolate, or you pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Okay. Eat in or eat out? Uh, Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? I think all of them, depending okay. on the day. <laughs> Fair enough. Tasting menu or a la carte? God, putting me on the spot there, aren't you? <laughs> uh, the tasting menu within reason. Okay. The, the thing with my game, just so you know, there are no rules, okay. there's no right answers, uh, yeah, yeah, no wrong uh, answers. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I find it fascinating to hear uh, people's I just, I just want to make sure I'm trying to live within the spirit of what, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about small plates or large plates? Small plates. It's a lot of diminishing return, and I learned that a long time ago. The less you have something that's really good, the more you want it, and you're left with this impression that it's extraordinary. That's what we want to leave people with, that impression that it's extraordinary. Wow, fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) How about communal table or chef's counter? A communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive. 
buttermilk fried chicken or roast chicken? Roast chicken. I don't know. This this one might might be unfair. Oyster and pearls and salmon cornets. Um, I don't know if you can pick. Yeah, I... I, I I, as much as I love the oyster and pearl, I think the salmon cornet has um, a more profound impact on the purpose of that of that dish. Okay. Yeah, on people. What about cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan. Unless it's cheesecake. <laughs> and then we could have it as dessert and cheese. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and I'm going to, I have a bonus one for okay. you of a, also might not be fair. Spanglish or ratatouille? Ratatouille. Okay. Yeah, ratatouille. Worked on both. Yeah. I, I, I love what we did on Spanglish and certainly love Jim Brooks and Adam Sandler and we had a great time. But ratatouille is one of those movies that, you know, it, that just crosses all culture and, and age groups. Yeah. yeah, and I saw Adam Sandler's tribute to you on I Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it went on and on and on. I was... <laughs> I, I kept playing on my on my phone. I watched it a few times. Um, okay, the last one's Manhattan, Brooklyn, Yonville, or Surfside, or Las Vegas. I don't know. You, you're everywhere. Yeah. Yonville. Yonville. Yeah, definitely. It's very special there. It is. I'm very. I'm blessed. I, but you know, again, I can be in this wonderful community of Yonville and in the Napa Valley. Um, I can come to New York and be in this extraordinary environment. You know, energetic and and and, and compelling. Yeah. So I. I have the best of both worlds when I think about between per se and French Laundry. And then I get to go to Surfside or Las Vegas, you know, every once in a while. So. Yeah, I mean, I, one, of my, one of my prep questions was, how do you manage your time? And yeah. I, I guess you have a, you others have a, manage, good, a yeah. really good calendar yeah. person. Yeah, others, <laughs> others manage my time. Remember, yeah. we're chefs. And, and this is a really important thing to remember is we don't do anything unless we're told to do. You know, if somebody asks us to do something, our, 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 our initial response is always yes. Right. So because right. you, when you walk into a kitchen at 14 or 15 years of age and the chef tells you to go strain water, you don't debate with him. You don't say no. It's like we chef. So you as a as a young cook, you know, are always trained to say yes. And so that's just, sometimes it gets us in trouble, you know, always, always saying, always saying yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, chef. Yes, chef. <laughs> yes, chef. Yes, chef. <laughs> Well, that was the yeah. game. You did. Did you I do okay? Well. Okay. I thought it went. What well. was the bonus? You, what was the feel? bonus question? The bonus was the Spanglish or the oh, ratatouille because okay. okay. I typically do. Yeah. I have ten um, choices, and that yeah. was the eleventh. I just threw yeah. in there. The funny thing about ratatouille, you know, when it came out, I got some phone calls from um, um, some of the media, you know, asking me what I felt about rodents in kitchens. And like I was, you know, like I was, um, <laughs> I, I was, I was four rodents in kitchen. I said, no, it's a cartoon. Yeah. You know, it's like Mickey Mouse is a, you know, is the national you know, treasure. He's a, he's a mouse, you know? Yeah. It's get, get over yourself. It's not like, you know, silly. <laughs> I don't know. That movie is special. It is. Amazing. It is. It is. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. There was many stories about Ratatouille and Spanglish. And that, that, uh, they both were extraordinary experiences in my life. And again, having the opportunity to do things that I've never done before, you know, and embracing those with a sense of confidence and courage. You know, I think that's what you just have to have is that confidence and courage is to be able to be part of something that you you feel that you want to want to want to want to experience it, but to also have the Constant courage that you can do it in a, in a, in a way that is going to make a difference. And so I think Spanglish and Ratatouille were two experiences with movies, both different, um, but just wonderful. Yeah. I don't need to do any more. I don't know. I was thinking <laughs> things sometimes, uh, you know, yeah. come in threes. Maybe there's one yeah. more in there I, for you. But, that, but, you know, we won an Oscar. I mean, I was part of a team that won, a, you know, an Oscar. I mean, no, I'm not sure not, how many not chefs, bad. I'm not sure how many yeah. chefs can say, you know. I, I, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Okay, so for industry news, I thought we could talk a little bit about Mentor BKB, and I mm -hmm. know you just got back from the Chef's Garden, and you had a fundraiser there uh, for for the organization, and it's been, oh, I don't know, from, uh, you can, let's not hear from me, let's no. hear from you, of like how, I mean, you came to make, um, you're the president now of this organization, and mm -hmm. you've seen, it's been incredible to watch Team USA win silver and then go on to win gold. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what's what's this experience been like for you? Well, you know, certainly in there are some of the proudest moments of my life, and I've had I've been fortunate to be blessed with many 
um, career highlights uh, and personal highlights that have um, have changed, you know, my perception and, and, and my opportunity to do things. And certainly being part of a mentor, which originally was the Buku Store Foundation, and it all began on one evening here in Manhattan at Per Se in 2008 when Daniel Balut called me um, in the kitchen and said, um, we're, we're going to... And we're going to form a foundation to support the Buku's Door Team USA because Paul Buku's really feels that we need to do that. And Paul's going to call you in a few minutes and ask you to be the president. And so I said, okay. And as I, as I was pointing out before, Paul calls and we chat and he says, I want you to be the president of the U.S. team. And what do you say to Paul Bocuse? I mean, we chef. Yes, chef. <laughs> and so that's really how it began. Yeah. And we began with a promise to him that we would, that we would we, we get on the podium. Um, he was, he's been an inspiration to all of us and certainly... He, don't change the face of, of, of culinary arts um, around the world uh, and, and been such an icon uh, for many of us and mentor. And so we really wanted to achieve what he had set us out to do. And it was, of course, his son, Jerome Bacus, and, you know, one of our closest friends, Daniel Baloud. And so we had the three musketeers out there trying to raise money to support a U.S. team, do a national competition, choose a candidate, train the candidate, um, trying to find a kitchen to train them, a team to train them, sending them off to Lyon and competing in the Bougou store. And we did all that um, in about 15 months. It was our first, uh, was our first challenge. And we did pretty well. Um, Timothy Hollingsworth, who was a sous chef at the French Army at the time, um, um, uh, became the, uh, the chef and uh, um, uh, a young woman, uh, Adina, Adina Guest was the, was his commie and we had my old mentor, my, well not my old mentor, my mentor, sorry, I don't mean to say old Roland Hannon, uh, <laughs> but Roland was, was, the, was the coach of the team mm-hmm. and it was, it was a, you know, a great way to start and we thought, I don't know what we thought, what we were thinking, we thought we'd just get in there and win because we were Americans and because we, we, we had Paul Bocuse on our side, I don't know. But, you know, we came in sixth place and, you know, we, we weren't disappointed because we were in the top 10 and that was a good thing. And, you know, then it became a quest. Um, and year after year, um, we, we, we built on, the, on our, the mistakes. You know, we built on the platform that we had from the previous year. We learned from our mistakes. Um, we had um, James Kent, um, who was the sous chef at 11 Madison Park. Um, the, in 2011, followed by um, uh, Richard Rosendale, who was the chef at the time of the Greenbrier um, in 2013. And we weren't going in the right direction. And that was a big problem for us and certainly was a big problem um, for our ability to attract talent. And then um, Phil Tessier, who was the, ex- the executive sous chef of the French Laundry, um, who was moving on from the French Laundry but not knowing what he wanted to do, came to me one day and said, Chef, I'd really like to apply for the Buku store and, and be, the, and, and be the, the chef for the Buku store. Well, I said, that's great. You know, fortunately, you know, you don't have to apply because we don't have any applications. You're the only one. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so I had to yeah. convince, you know, the international committee to let us do that. And um, all the while, you know, having promised Paul that we would get on the podium. And, you know, that becoming, uh, that becoming more and more um, um, uh, more and more real for us because, as, as you know, Paul was getting older and older, and we wanted to make sure that we were able to do that. And in 2015, we broke through, and and Philip won silver. Uh, and again, we had built on on the mistakes and uh, uh, the 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 past, and we really got into a good place in 2015 and put a great team together, a great training schedule. We had a great kitchen for them to train in, great support around them, and and they won silver. And it was one of the proudest moments in my life. And um, I was very happy because I was able to go to Paul uh, in, in his kitchen, you know, the next day, Thursday morning, which is the breakfast for the winners. Um, and we stood, I stood next to Paul by, for a moment by ourselves. And I, you know, I expressed to him the, that we had achieved, uh, you know, our promise. We got on the podium. And he looked at me and said, oh, I don't think so. He, he, <laughs> said, he said one more. He said, he said gold. Yeah. And I said, damn. <laughs> you know, so I have to come back now. So we, you know, and again, you know, our promise to him was was really, really important to me, and I wanted to make sure that we didn't. In 2017, you know, we had Philip, who had won in silver in 2015. Yeah. He became the coach. Coach uh, Matthew Peters, who again, who was now by this time the executive sous chef at Per Se, uh, won the competition. We had more people now who were interested because we finally broke through, and there was a lot of interest in, in our profession to become. Uh, a candidate for the team. We had our national competition. Matt Peters won. Ba- Matt Peters barely won, 
Um, but he, he did. He put together a, a, a great team, and we went on and won gold. And to be able to stand in Paul Bocuse's kitchen, you know, and, and express the fact that we did finally uh, fulfill our promise to him was really one of the most emotional and proudest moments of my life. And, um, you know, the, he passed away the, the next year, and it was really sad for everybody. But we were able to achieve that. And we work today in, in his memory, um, because when you think about it, what he did in 1987... By establishing the competition and bringing 24 countries together, and you look at that time in history, in culinary history, and you see what has happened since then, um, and 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 the relationships that have been built around the world through these chefs and through this competition. Yes, it's a competition, but more importantly, it's a competition that brings the world together uh, and the culinary world together, and it's opened up. Um, well, it's, it's eliminated borders, and it's helped us so in so many different ways. And so, you know, the significant one's the decision, you know, the significance of the decision for Paul to start this competition in 87, and what's happened since then in the past 30 years. Um, it's quite extraordinary. I did a show with uh, with Phil Tessier and Matt, Matthew Peters uh, back in 2017. Mm. It was my episode 133, yeah. and yeah. it was great to get to talk to them and, yeah. and see what you, what, what yeah. you all have accomplished. I've been to Leon once. I went to Papaku's mm. restaurant. He was there. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. But I need to go back and, and attend this competition because... It's exciting. Um, it it's, really is. I, I just yeah. just from yeah. seeing online, yeah. you, you get yeah. a little piece of it. Yeah. But the energy and, yeah. and the enthusiasm and, you know, rooting for Team USA. Yeah. And, you, and know. you know, just, you know, for the listeners, this is your team. You know, this is, you know, akin to the U.S. Olympic team. You know, this is the U.S. culinary team. And... We're there to support them and, you know, whatever you, you can do to support the U.S. team, you know, if you have that kind of desire and that kind of, that's kind of national pride, you know, to support the U.S. team in the same way that we support our U.S. Uh, our US athletes in the Olympics. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really important. Paul, you know, Paul always told this story that was very touching for me. Um, and then one of the reasons that he loved America so much, um, he, you know, he, he flies, he, he still, they still do, he did the American flag above his restaurant and during World War II he was you know he was uh, in the French resistance in the French military and he was wounded and taken to U.S. Army Field Hospital where they saved his life with a blood, blood transfusion and he'll always say he always said that he always had American blood running through his veins and so it was really you know it was a very strong connection to um, his not only did it save his life but you know you know America helped save Europe and certainly France as well so he had great respect for our country and always wanted us to do well. In fact, when Phil Tessier won silver, the headlines in the Lyon uh, newspaper weren't about the uh, about the winners. It was about America. It said, Paul's dream realized America on the podium, you know, in huge black letters. And so yeah. we came in second place, and that was, the, that was the headline of the Lyon paper because everybody knew how much Paul really had hoped that America would do well and finally reach the podium. And so those are moments that are that you cherish. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Impressive. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. We'll do my solo dining experience. We'll have the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at La Cova Fumada. Here's the rundown. The location. Balourd 56, La Barcelonota, Barcelona, Spain. The concept. A small, unassuming, family-run eatery serving authentic Spanish cuisine. It's a serious authentic authentic hole-in-the-wall restaurant frequented by local fishermen, and it's a classic bodega. The owners, brothers Joseph Maria and Maggie Soleil, whose grandmother, Maria Pla, invented their famous potato bomb. So why did I go? Well, I was recently in Barcelona, and I had had a, a bunch of very fancy, wonderful meals, including El Celler de Can Roca in Girona, which was fabulous. But I was craving a little authentic local Spanish cuisine, so I wanted to go there. 
So my experience. So I actually ran to the restaurant, took a little run through Barcelona, uh, through the Arc de Triomphe, then over to the beach boardwalk, and I arrived at this restaurant uh, around 11.40. I wanted to get there before noon because I had heard it, it got pretty busy at lunch. And I beat the lunch crowd. I When I sat in the table in the, in the back, I talked to the host about what to order, and I sat down and, uh, and savored my experience. So what did I get? I had the Bomba de la Barcelonota, which is our famous potato bomb, and it's a fried mashed potato croquette. It's stuffed with savory ground beef and topped with aioli and hot sauce. I also had grilled sardines and shrimp, and I had some bottled water. My take. So delicious, I absolutely loved it. I wish I could have eaten more. The bamboo was really rich and decadent and the sardines were gorgeous, simply dressed with olive oil. And I had the peel and eat shrimp, which, uh, you know, eating with your hands is always fun. And I just really, really loved this experience. The ambiance. So it's a very casual, no frills place. Uh, it hasn't really changed since the 1940s. They have a chalkboard menu and there's some tables for, for sharing. Uh, people can sit together. And there's also a counter up front where you can stand and eat. Perfect for tapas and seafood lovers. I'd say it's good for soloists or if you're with a few friends. Interesting tidbit, La Cova Fumada is one of the oldest restaurants in the beachside neighborhood. It's called uh, by the Spaniards La uh, Solera, having a sort of vintage character and maturity. Personal fun fact, so I, one of these fancy meals I had done the day before, I went to just fruit jar and I had had lunch there and it was fabulous, but because it was, it was a three, four hour lunch, I had skipped dinner the night before. So when I went and I ran to this restaurant the next day, I was hungry, I was ready to eat. So the cost was 22 euro, that's about 24 US. And would I go back? Absolutely, their website's lakovafumada.com. Have you heard of this place? I have. I have not. But they, I mean, they're. It sounds like they're. You know, the, I don't want to say typical, but it sounds like places that I've been to in Spain. And you know, the one wonderful things about eating in Europe in general is finding these little, as you point out, hole in walls or, or, or family-run restaurants or neighborhood restaurants where the food is just really good. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think we have to realize that we all should want to eat good food. We don't, doesn't, every experience doesn't have to be amazing or extraordinary. It's like, I'm, ha- I'm happy just to have a really nice meal, right? And it sounds like that's what you had, a really nice meal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's fun. And I that's did, good. and yeah. I like mixing it up yeah. because I, I, I like doing the, yeah. the fine dining, right. but this was, this was, I was in gym clothes. Like, right. I could get right. away with it at yeah. this restaurant and, and just enjoy some really uh, delicious, simple Yep fresh food so yeah delicious is the word delicious is the word yeah if someone says your food was delicious and that's all i need to hear all right well cool okay so it's time for the final question so my next guest is massimo botura italian restaurateur and chef of three michelin star osteria francescana in modena italy super excited to have him on and i would love chef keller if you could give a question for Chef Batura, chef to chef. Yeah, that's you know, it's it's interesting. I've been thinking about this for for a couple of days now, and it's it's hard to come up with a question for for any chef or for Massimo, um, and, 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 and some for so many different reasons. But one of the things that you know I really want to say uh, is um, is is to recognize the quality of the man who he is and his sense of uh, generosity and responsibility. Um, I mean, the kitchens that he's opened up to help feed uh, the unfortunate is just is extraordinary, and and, and should be a a model for uh, for for not not necessarily other chefs, but model for um, uh, an ability for a community to help uh, feed uh, the hungry um, in that way. So, I, I guess my my question to Massimo is that: Is there a way for you to um, uh, to to build a platform that other people then can copy, almost like a I don't know, like a franchisable kind of thing, obviously, so that so that what you've done, what, what you have learned through that process, and the mistakes that you have made, and, and and what you've learned from those mistakes, if that can somehow be given to others um, who can who can then take that and and use what you've done to help the unfortunate in their homes. Great question. I will find out the answer. Okay. 
And that's the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's nice talking to you. And and um, hopefully there's a little something that we, we all will get from this. I think people will get a lot from this. I got a lot out of it. I'm... I really appreciate your time and yeah. honored to to have this opportunity and congratulations on everything you've accomplished, uh, regardless of whatever yeah. failures or mistakes <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the way. But it, it got you yeah. to where you are yeah. today, yeah. and um, yeah, I look forward to whatever's next because I have a Thank feeling you. there's more. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to get you know quickly to finish. I just want to give a shout out to. Um, to my team, uh, yeah. you know, but, you know, in, in all of the restaurants, um, you know, in the executive positions, uh, because without a team, you, you're really not able to do anything. So it's because of them that I'm sitting here today. Yeah, you have a fabulous team. And I'll also say, since we're at the tack room, I came recently a couple of weeks ago for dinner and it was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Service, food, ambiance, you, you nailed it. Good. So thank you. Your team nailed it. Thank you. So my guest today has been Thomas Keller, world-renowned chef and proprietor of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. His website is thomaskeller.com, and you can follow him on social media at Chef Thomas Keller. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks again to Chef Keller and his team. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with another show. I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.